White Sox. White Sox. Go, 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 go. Call your sons. Call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Win Echo. Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez. He's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill, and our show is at Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. You can see our beautiful faces there on YouTube. Go subscribe, maybe even hit the notifications bell if you want to. 312-566-8727 is the way you can leave a voice message or LockedOnSocks at gmail.com to leave an email. It is Chris Tannehill. How are you doing on this beautiful evening? Oh, are you kidding me? Look at it out here. It's gorgeous out here. And we we're, get to see each other, too. Yeah, well, we see each other every day. We're just on Zoom, but we're just not in person here. We have a special guest here, which we'll get to in a moment, but we are brought to you today by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. It is our 300th episode here today. We're going to break form a little bit. We decided to go out and do something. Our first remote show, unless you are one of the folks that counts Courtney's mother's bathroom as a remote show in the early days. Um, I personally do not, unless they were <laughs> serving well drinks and great beer there in, in Courtney's mom's bathroom. I don't know if they were or just weren't. Toilet water, <laughs> just toilet water wine. All right, so we are on location here, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But there is some Sox news that we want to get to as we are recording this. And uh, he's got some shoulder inflammation there, so that's something that's uh, not good. He had been playing some really good ball, but there are some corresponding moves here. They've selected the contract of right-handed pitcher Mike Wright from Class AAA Charlotte. They recalled Ryan Burr from Charlotte, and they optioned Matt Foster back down to Charlotte, and they designated Zach Birdie for assignment. That was a surprising move here in all of this. It certainly doesn't mean that his time is done, but uh, certainly if another team is uh, keen to picking up Zach Birdie, they can do so here. But uh, it's a tough break here for Adam Engel, who had been playing some really nice baseball, and he would finally resume his role of being a good, solid bench guy, fourth outfielder type maybe even playing you know considerable amount of time in right consistently and uh, seeing this this lineup act uh, the, the way it was designed so that's a tough break for Engel and uh, I don't know what Mike Wright is going to do if he's actually going to pitch at this level if he's going to spot start and save the rotation a little bit here but uh, yeah some uh, some interesting moves uh, made and a lot of people are talking about it online today. Adam Engel you know we've had a, a factuation with him because he has turned himself into a Major League Baseball player, which I didn't think he would be. I thought he was just going to be pinch runner, defensive replacement type of guy. But I was not too sad if he would have been our everyday right fielder to start the year. Chris, you know that. And Right. We had the discussion, would you rather have pay for Nelson Cruz to be the DH or pay for a right fielder and have Adam Engel uh, instead? And you'd have Nelson Cruz, Adam Engel. We were cool with that. Yeah, that would have been great. But then you don't have Andrew Vaughn, so... I mean, I mean, eventually he would have came up and done some damage. But I, yeah. I, I'm very sad because every time it seems like he's getting some momentum, he's doing some good things, he gets hurt. The best ability is availability, and he has not been healthy his whole career, and this year specifically. And that's kind of the White Sox thing too, because we know they have a lot of injuries. And if he was in, if he was healthy this year, it would really help the White Sox go a little farther. 
the Zach Birdie thing, you know, I just I, I guess that it's more of an indictment uh, on the fact that they have some guys underneath him in, in the lower levels and he's kind of blocking some guys. So, but this this is surprising to me. Very much so. I maybe they're thinking they can skate by and get him through waivers and yeah. he comes through and they he accepts his uh, demotion to wherever he needs to go. Um, gets him off the 40-man roster by uh, designating him for assignment. Very surprising. He's got a live arm. And a couple years ago, before he got hurt, he was on a fast track to be, like, our closer of the future. And so for him to just pitch last year and this year, and they're like, eh, that's enough, it is surprising to give up on a draft pick. I think, what, a sandwich pick or a first-round draft pick for Zach Birdie when right. they did pick him? So, yeah, it's very surprising to give up on this guy with a live arm this early in his career. All right, we are being very rude here, but we do have a, a guest here, and uh, we are live at Bishi Beer, 2515 North Milwaukee Avenue. You can visit them at Bishi.beer. That's B-I-X-I.beer. You can find them on Instagram, at Bishi Beer. Uh, we are here with the brewmaster of Bishi Beer, Andrew Mason. Andrew, welcome to episode 300. Thanks for uh, inviting us to your beautiful establishment here today. Hey, gentlemen, thank you for inviting me to to episode 300 and yeah burning this uh, momentous occasion on on chatting here and having beers <laughs> well uh, had it not been this tonight we would have just been talking about socks a so yeah. it's ultimately fine um so and we, dallas keichel started that so yeah. well we appreciate you open up your doors to us tonight we're gonna uh, talk about some First thing you do is go to film school and uh, <laughs> what, what, but of what, course, what school did you go to? I went to Columbia, graduated. So did I. Yeah. I, I was an art and design major, so uh -huh. here we are recording so, a, yeah. a podcast on your roof here. Spend four and a half years <laughs> worth of money at Columbia and get your film degree um, and then decide that you really don't want to move out to L.A. after all, uh, like all the people that I went to school with that uh, are actually working in the industry. Mm -hmm. So uh, I actually was interested in beer um, as a teenager, my dad started homebrewing when I was about two, so I was always around it. And then I got interested in, in it when I was about 16. And I actually looked into going into brewing professionally right out of high school, but you can't really do that in this country. So I uh, did the next best thing and went to film school, which I was passionate about. But um, right at the end of school, I uh, ended up falling into a job down in Flossmore, Illinois, at Flossmore Station. Uh, the brewer at the time down there was a old uh, high school and middle school teacher of mine and a family friend. And his um, assistant kind of just uh, disappeared one day and there was a spot open and uh, started there and just, uh, you know, my wife, then girlfriend at the time had said like, well, are you going to try to make this film thing work or are you going to? What, you're gonna figure this out they so, have they have a way of doing that yeah. to us <laughs> so all uh, those, they're always uh, then girlfriend now wife uh -huh. like you know they're always uh, looking out for our best behalf so, yeah. Yeah. so uh it wasn't a difficult choice especially when you're in your uh, early 20s and uh brewing presents itself despite the fact that uh the pay was you know garbage and long hours and tons of sweat but you get to make beer right so that was kind of like living the dream i usually ask our guests what was your introduction to white Sox baseball and we'll get to that but you're a brewmaster. What was your introduction? What's the first beer you're like, okay, this is what I want to go to? I don't know if I really had that, like, uh, light bulb moment um, so much. Like I said, it was always something that was around because my dad was into it. Um, we lived in the Bay Area. Uh, I was born outside of St. Louis, but we moved to uh, Vallejo when I was 
uh, three or four. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, we were always around, we were close to Napa wine country, but I was a kid, so it wasn't really like a, a thing then, but, mm-hmm. um, just being around beer, seeing the romantic side of it. Um, there was a, uh, a series, a documentary series by a famous beer and whiskey writer named Michael Jackson, um, called the beer hunter. And he had these videos and we had them on VHS and I watched them till like the tapes broke. But he went all around the world and did all these different beers, and it was just like it just clicked, and it just seemed like it was going to be the thing for me. Um, there wasn't necessarily like one one beer light bulb moment or anything like that. I certainly have had moments where like I've traveled to Germany or been in a very specific place, and you have you know a beer in that one spot, and you're just like, this feels like I'm in beer mecca, that kind of thing. But um, there was it was never like the choice between old old style and then you know something else that was like oh yeah no no this is it you got the name of that german beer that you remember um i've had that situation happen more than once actually okay. um there's a a um, a monastery in wow. uh, central germany um at a place called uh, kreuzberg and my buddy jeff uh was a mentor and also a former teacher of mine we were working on a documentary in germany and um he took us to this place that he was stationed at in the 60s and it was right on the east-west german border and they would intercept um radio signals and there's a monastery brewery right there and that was definitely one of those situations uh where you 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 walk up this huge hill if you're catholic they have the stations of the cross and then you sit down and you you put your deposit down and you get this enormous stein of beer and you're in a monastery and you're drinking beer and you're like yeah that there's a lot worse things in life than this moment here right now. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a religious experience for some. That place in Pittsburgh, remember that we drove by that was in yes. in, in an old church. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that place has been around for quite a while. But yeah, yeah. Th- there's a number of places like that. I thought now. Janice went there from a North Side of White Sox podcast. She went there when we were in Pittsburgh. I saw some of the pictures there. Absolutely. So you mentioned. Uh, your, your early days in California, and we'll, we'll get to that, but you've, you've been all over. You've worked, as you mentioned, Flossmore Station, Mickey Finn's, one of my favorite spots out in Libertyville, Santa's Magic, you know, always look forward to that time of year. Uh, you worked at Three Floyds, it's where I met you, Solemn Oath, where we did the the, the 83 age, a barrel aged beer, which was awesome a few years back, and now here we are at, at Bishi, but, you know, how does one, you know, you, you're, you're in California, you move here as a youngster, tell us about your Sox fan uh, origin story. How do, how do you get from California to here and uh, end up a White Sox fan? Well, I, I was a kid. You know, when we moved here, it was uh, 1990. So I was probably, uh, I was in the middle of first grade. So I was like probably seven years old. So fandoms are, I don't know, not really burned in your brain at that point. But mm-hmm. we, I, we, I mean, we watched the A's when we were out there. It was the Bash Brothers era. It was an exciting time to watch the A's. Uh, I remember the earthquake. Um, I remember, you know, McGuire and Canseco and Ricky. And, you know, that was a that was kind of a a pretty exciting time for the A's. But like I said, I was a kid. So um, when we moved here, uh, all my dad's side of the family is from downstate Illinois, from central Illinois. And so either you're a Cubs fan or you're a Cardinals fan. And my grandmother was a Cardinals fan. I never cared about the Cubs at all. I never understood why my dad and brothers were into it at all. But uh, when we moved here, it was 1990. I mean, that was 
I, I glommed onto the White Sox and just never really like stopped paying attention. I mean, that was also a, a, an amazing time to be a White Sox fan. Oh yeah. yeah. It's also like when in that time when you're if you're a kid coming of age in, in those days, you didn't really have the internet, you didn't have social media to, to keep tabs on your favorite players. Where maybe you would have stayed rooting for the A's, but it's one of those t- times and place where you know you're a kid and what's in front of you is 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 what it is. And I remember those days like. You know, I remember the first game at the, at the new Comiskey Park where they play now the G-rate, you know, seeing Frank Thomas, and boom, that was it. So who were some of your favorite players growing up? Uh, well, for sure, uh, Frank, I, I mean, like I told you guys uh, ahead of time, I my first real White Sox memory was the game when uh, Carlton Fisk was – retiring or is his last game but it was the game they gave him a motorcycle yeah. at home plate yeah. and while i was at that game and i remember and then they dfa'd him huh? yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know that that kind of nuance was you know a little bit beyond me but being a kid and being in a game and they have a motorcycle on the field like that was there was there was no going back after that and then they let bo jackson ride the motorcycle away and there's there's i mean it's bo jackson right but can you imagine if they let Eloy ride a motorcycle <laughs> away to like the center field mm-hmm. bullpen or anything? That's completely nuts. So, um, uh, yeah, Frank growing up. Um, I guess in retrospect, like you know, Carlton Fisk maybe should have taken a hint at that moment. <laughs> we're, we're literally giving you something so you can get away and leave us with. Um, but yeah, I remember that uh, moment as a kid watching it on TV. That was one of those cool things. Like like baseball is kind of weird and cool, you know. Like this is something I've never really seen before in sports. I mean, think about that whole thing. We had a football player playing baseball. Like we had one of the best players of all time, one of the and, greatest athletes. Yeah, and then. He's playing for the White Sox and those cool ass uniforms. See, that's kind of the time I jumped into the White Sox. Like, I was no fan. I had no parents who were baseball fans. So I was like, let me go to that team that looks good with that nice SOX. I started like at the end of 90. So they were wearing those uh, nice uh, uniforms that they currently still wear with the old English SOX. So that's a good time to go into the White Sox whole thing. And I could have easily been a Cub fan because I think I went to many Cubs games before that. And they had won the the pennant or won the East in '89. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I could do this. But I was like, you know what? I like this team a little bit well, more. There's some to that. I think I told the story before in the podcast where the first day that Upper Deck had the 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 second series of their of their cards back in '91, it was Bo Jackson's headshot in the White Sox uniform. I was like, for whatever reason, like I was collecting cards at that time. But that was like that was kind of it for me. It cemented it. Like I already loved watching Frank. But and my dad was a Sox fan, is a Sox fan. But that moment, like, seeing it's like a transition of oh, this is actually cool, you know. Like it was, it's a perfect time and place to be a Sox fan. And then uh, I would say probably Jack McDowell. I remember oh, just thinking he was the coolest. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, that, I mean that era was it was it was such a bummer because with the uh, with the strike in 94, yeah. mm-hmm. that just felt like a, a, a stolen season of like the, the what could have been and man, like, yeah, this is good. This is going to happen. And, and then, and then it just didn't. I just remember in 93, I was like, okay, here the White Sox are going to the world series. And then Michael Jordan ruined that by retiring, which I'll still to this day think that that caused the White Sox <laughs> to lose that series, even though the blue Jays were one. And that strike really hurt my heart. I mean, I don't know how we as baseball fans just continued when our owner was pretty much the guy, the point guy of making that strike happen. Like, how do we still continue to be White Sox fans? That's how good a White Sox loyalty is. That we're like, we have a horrible owner for the most part. And we're like, you know what? I still like this team because he probably uh, plays off of that. He's like, you guys are not going anywhere. 
Where are you going? Cubs? No. <laughs> you know, we know you're not going anywhere. Right. Like, as a, what, 10-year-old at that time? Or were you at 94? Like, yeah, somewhere in that area. Like, did you ever question why you're a White Sox fan? And just like, eh, I'm just going to go with it. No, it was, it, it just felt like it was the cooler team. Like, I just, I didn't care at all about the Cubs. And there wasn't, we would go to games at Wrigley. I remember, you know, Sosa chasing home runs and stuff like that, but it, it never really clicked with me. It just it, never was the thing. And, I, you know, it's funny because it, another thing about that era, like you go to my, my daughter's school and you see all the kids in every different basketball jersey, baseball jersey from teams all around the league. But back then it was like you didn't know anyone that was a fan of any team outside of the city. Like it just wasn't a thing that you did it was because accessibility, right? Well, yeah, like, yeah, like you were lucky if you had Jones Intercable, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was wondering, like now people are fans of actual, individual players like Otani or Trout like were you a fan of any player outside of Chicago were you, I mean you were an Oakland fan did you still keep tabs on the A's when you no, moved to Chicago that, that didn't that wasn't even like not only was it not on my radar I, I don't even know how you would have done that in the in the early 90s you would right? just have early to be early dedicated like look at the box score at night because yeah, like, like that's way past your bedtime as a 10 year old yeah West Coast games and uh yeah that just that, there's no accessibility there that's just that was it's just so good. It's so good that nowadays people have expanded their horizons. They can still like their their Seminole team like I do, but I also like the Padres. I like the excitement of baseball. It's expanded itself to a little further audience than we grew up with. I think we've played baseball more than the kids now, but also I think that the kids nowadays like the individuals in the sport more than glamping on to one team and specifically. Absolutely. So – Let's take me take me back a little bit. You know, you were at Three Floyds for for a while, 2009 to 2017. It's where I met you some years back, and you were kind enough to give myself a tour. Uh, you met some other guys from the score. Uh, it's one of the coolest things because Three Floyds being one of my favorite craft breweries around, and you were there sort of before. Uh, you know, they were more easily accessible as they are now. Like you can go and get a case of Gumball Head at Costco. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. You don't you don't have to drive to to Indiana to get a case of beer uh, from Three Floyds, but you were there. You know, not. You know, not in the heyday because I'm sure they're doing well now, but you were there when it was, uh, you know, just a really cool thing to be a part of. And, you know, of course, Dark Lord Day and, you know, zombie dust and the hoopla around all of that. But tell me about your time at Three Floyds and, uh, you know, did you ever use, uh, you know, a, a case of Dark Lord as currency or did you ever have to barter some zombie dust with, with someone for a favor? Or there's, like a, there's a lot worse things to barter with than a case <laughs> of beer. I can tell you that. Uh, if, you, if you work in the industry and you have, uh, access to free beer it, it can grease a lot of wheels <laughs> in, in a lot of different situations but um when i came on at floyd's yeah it was a dramatically different situation um and i actually was there um so i had already been brewing for about four and a half years when i started at floyd's and they didn't need a brewer they just needed some a body and i was literally cleaning and filling kegs for almost an entire year um when i came on because i knew that there were going to be other opportunities but that that's just what they needed at that point um, and the brewery was much smaller. Um, it was just a handful of people doing pretty much all the work. And in terms of barrelage, I think we were probably around eight or 10,000 barrels a year when I started. And when I left, we were at about 70 or 80,000 barrels wow. in about, uh, I was there almost nine years. Um, so yeah, really rapid growth and um, huge, huge cult following. But our focus was always on quality and making sure, because in that time when, when craft beer was just exploding, there were breweries that were growing and you know getting out over the end of their skis and mm -hmm. quality became a problem and beers had to get recalled and 
once you burn that reputation, it's, it's hard to get it back if you can ever get it back. So yeah, um, Dark Lord Day going from basically, uh, you know, show up and get your beer to, uh, oh shit, we, we got to figure this out. Do I have to apologize? Techna. Techna. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. You know, yeah, you're a listener. So, so you know. sorry. They, sometimes they will slip <laughs> as you know, they slip. But, but when you, when you're like, yeah, we'll get a, we'll get a couple porta potties. And then the porta potties look like Armageddon at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you have to start doing a different calculation. So, um, one of my uh, former coworkers would kind of always apologize and say like, we're not party planners, we're brewers, but we had to figure out how to throw a party for eight or 10,000 people. And that's <laughs> it's easier said than done. And the learning curve is extremely steep, but, uh, but yeah, thankfully it, it, it got figured out and it, it's still, well, COVID aside. Uh, yeah, it's still a pretty amazing day. If you get a chance to go down there someday. I mean, I know people who drink beer and know beer, know the reputation of three floyds but what as a person that started in the industry drew you to three floyds specifically it was a number of things uh one things had gone uh kind of gone south um at flossmore in terms of my situation there so um in those days all the way back in uh you know um late 2000s early say um uh there weren't that many breweries to work at. It's not like now where in some other place uh, there were a handful and you literally, I mean, it's like working in radio production, you know, all the people, right. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't know those people, you're like, who's that guy? Or who's that? Where, where did she come from? Like you're a little suspicious of them because uh, like it's a tight knit community. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean that you can't have all comers, but it was much smaller back then. And there, there wasn't the same kind of uh, segment as there was now. So, uh, first of all, they would have me was a, was a, an important <laughs> first step. <That's> <laughs> Nick, Nick Floyd said, uh, you know, don't go work anywhere else. We have a job for you. So that was, that was an easy thing to say yes to, despite the fact that I live here in Logan Square and I have the entire time I worked there. So never had a commute that's less than an hour as an adult. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, driving back and forth to Northwestern Indiana, you know, it's not necessarily the greatest, but there were, there were good reasons to do it. And so, you know, we were talking about this before, but uh, there was a, a situation with a, with a former big leaguer who had to get his... If you need a suitcase, whatever, I will... He's the guy that gets it done mm -hmm. for them. And so he had sent us an email and said, uh, Trevor Plouffe's going to be in town and he's looking for zombie dust. <laughs> Do you have any idea where I can get zombie dust at? And it didn't entirely catch me off guard because the reason um, that he was kind of on my radar was that... Um, uh, he in Minnesota, he was buddies with the guys at Surly, and we knew the people at Surly. And um, he's a huge beer guy, SoCal guy, and uh, and was always looking for beer. And a tour, me, I guess I can work that into my schedule. So gave him the full tour. He brought tons of swag. I still have an autograph, autographed uh, baseball bat from him. And uh, I made sure to tell him that he was my second favorite all-time uh, third baseman for the Twins. Uh, Gordon Koski, of course. <laughs> yeah, so he, he thought that was good. Uh, I think I still got his number, too, if you want to try to text him. But, uh, yeah. Um, Trevor Plouffe, wasn't he the one that told the world that Chris Sale was tipping pitches that entire time against the Twins, and that's why they hit him so well? Was that Plouffe? I'm trying to remember who that was. I don't but, even remember. But yeah, but, yeah. He's a good guy now. I mean, he's, I hated him as a Twin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was terrible. Yeah, he's one of their talking heads. Yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, and this is off the topic of what we are doing, but when I watch, like, Frasier, I see <laughs> a radio 
professional not having headphones and like that's not how it's done <laughs> the same thing with sandlot at the end of the movie he's yeah not he's, talking into a microphone exactly do you watch movies or tv shows like there's a tv show on netflix called easy and it does a lot of montages about different chicagoans and one of them is a brother uh tandem that has a brewery and i wonder if you watch these things and you're like hmm couldn't they consult with somebody? Like we, we could have just told them this is not how you do it. So they look a little bit more professional. It, it, it looks a little bit more passable when they do it. Well, I, I couldn't have set you up for this better, but Joe Swamber is actually a buddy. He he went to Naperville Central, and I've known mm-hmm. him since high school. And I consulted with him on Drinking Buddies. Okay. Um, oh, I love that. And movie. so he brought he brought he's like you know what we're gonna start shooting. Um, I really want. Jake and uh, and everybody else in the crew to or every you know his lead actors to have an idea of what it's like to work in a brewery and this was when I was at Floyd's and um, it was a uh, uh, Jake Johnson and Olivia and um, uh, who I'm completely blanking on the name. It's been a while since I've seen no, but, that one. But yeah. who's uh, who plays Ted Lasso? Oh, oh um, your guy, Herb. Yeah, uh, God, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, Sudeikis. Jake is yeah, Jason. So when he and when Olivia and Jason were still together. Yeah. Uh, and Jason's a huge baseball fan too. He's a Kansas City guy. Um, I remember when he came down to the brewery, he had a Monarchs hat on. So anyway, they come down to the brewery, and um, I'm going to give them a tour, and I'm so worried about somebody like not having closed-toed shoes on. <laughs> And I even had to have one of my brewers go to his house that was nearby, get socks for Jake Johnson because he had sandals on, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please put these boots on. I can't afford somebody to get hurt on this tour. <laughs> I'm so worried about that. I forgot to give them safety glasses. Boiling kettle. And Jake takes this bucket of hops and dumps it in. And one tiny little drop of mm. hot wort comes out and it hits Olivia right in the eye. Oh. <laughs> and everybody's just like quiet. And nobody says anything. And we just keep going about the tour. And then at the rap party, uh, after they get done shooting, it came up again. And I was like, you know, I didn't want to say anything because, like, my mind was racing. Like, I thought, I'm going to get fired. Olivia's going to be blinded. Joe's movie's going to get ruined. Like, just the entire cascade of thoughts. And she was like, oh, yeah, I didn't say anything because I was so embarrassed. Mm. Like, <laughs> cool. Well, could tell that story of the grandkids, I guess. Yeah, it serves yeah. her fault, uh-huh. Olivia. It serves her right. You know, I never got to drop the, the hops in the barrel yeah, when, I, when, I, when I was at Floyd's. Jeez. Um, so, so you move on from Floyd's and you go to Salamoth, which is where we, we you know, I don't say we, but like you guys had the great idea. Yeah, I mean, Jason Wasi came down to Three Floyds. <laughs> I gave him tours down there, but yeah. Did he ever drop the. Uh, no, he, no, it was always after hours. Jay never came during brewing hours, but yeah. So you, you go to Salamoth. Uh, which is a beer you, it's actually still featured uh, at Guaranteed Rate Field, which is like, you know, must have been pretty cool because you were there when it was finally available in the craft cave. But we, we you know, you guys did the, the, the 83 um, barrel aged beer and it was a, it was quite a to do. And, you know, all the all the 83 nation people came up there and it was it was a great time. But uh, what, what are some of your uh, memories about working at Salamoth? Because that must have been an adjustment to, you know, you, you left Floyd's like when they were at the, you know, approaching the peak of their powers and you go to us to a smaller brewery um so what, what was that like transitioning from one to the other it was a huge adjustment um i mean it, it in some ways it kind of felt like being at a, like an emercon station and going to a college radio station right like you you know the you know the the movements but you're so in the mindset of doing like i was i would order truckloads of ingredients at a time and then you go to a much smaller brewery and then you just have to scale all that stuff back and 
um, the, the jobs were very different. And the, 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 the reason I left was because I had an opportunity to run my own place, right? And that yeah. it was not an easy decision, but I, it was a decision that I felt like I would really regret if I didn't say yes to. So uh, I could have, you know, comfortably worked at Three Floyds for the rest of my career and retired and probably been pretty happy. But uh, one of those life decisions that you make, like moving out to San Diego, and then... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but you, you know, got to do it. You got to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it it took a, it took a lot of, uh, of, of getting, getting your head in a different space, but I was super proud of the work that we did there. Um, we, we kind of re revamped and rebuilt the brewery, um, and, uh, did an incredible amount of work in two years. And then at the end of that time, it just was kind of time for a change. Um, and, uh, I, my wife had gone through a big uh, career change and went from um, higher ed to the private sector. And she said, well, you know, I took my time and figured out what my next thing was. So why don't you, you know, just figure it out for yourself. So that sounded like a really great plan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I left there in November of 2019. I was going to take the holidays, get back on the horse in like January. And then the pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of really threw a wrench in all the work. So. Um, ended up, I ended up helping uh, some buddies of mine uh, get a bowling alley open up on uh, Milwaukee uh, Avondale Bowl. Uh, they revamped a really uh, gorgeous, like 1950s bowling alley, um, and then the pandemic like really hit, and then kind of had to cut that out. And then uh, through some friend of friends, um, got hooked up here. Uh, the owners were looking; they had parted ways with their brewer, and they were looking for somebody to help them get back up on their feet. Um, once reopening was going on and they just kind of gave me carte blanche and said, you know, there's like two beers we want to keep on, but everything else. Do you think you gained skill, something, some knowledge in your time at Salamoth that you didn't have when you were at Three Floyds? Oh, without question. Yeah. I tell people um, that Floyds was like everything up until I left Floyds, that was all like beer education. Okay. That was how do you make beer? How do you run a brewery? How do you manage? How do you run a team? All of that kind of stuff. Uh, working at Salamoth was how do you run a business and how do you, you know, we had the company basically split up into three in terms of the president was like the controller for the company. Our, uh, eventually our COO was like director of sales and in terms, in terms of like the, the outside operations. And then I was in charge of basically everything else in the building. Um, and so, yeah, you, it was a real, uh, kind of like out of the fire and into the frying pan kind of situation of like, Oh yeah, you're making a lot of decisions, and they affect other people, and you got to take care of your people, and mm-hmm. you got to watch the bottom line, and figure out a PNL and everything else. So it was putting on some big boy pants for sure. All right, we're gonna take a quick time out here, and uh, I'm gonna ask you a question about the the art of of craft brewery, and we're gonna maybe get some lights on here because I can definitely foresee a scenario where we're just sitting here <laughs> sampling these great new beers in the dark. So if you can maybe hook us up with some lights, and we got some ads to do here, so we'll, we'll I'm gonna ask you that question when we come back. Uh, but we are brought to you today by Rock Auto. You know, Herb, there's so many different makes and models of cars these days. It's become impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that your car is ever going to need. So why would you endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, Herb, like, is your car an LX or an EX? Would you even know? If I, I would asked not. You? <laughs> yeah, I don't so, have a car. So you go out... <laughs> Yes, you do. You go out to the car. car. (laughs) Okay, so you go out and you check. Like, I don't know if it's an LX or an EX. Let me go check. Meanwhile, the person behind the counter looks up parts on their computer, choosing only the brands that their warehouse happens to carry. Why do that when you've got a computer with access 
to rockauto.com right there in your pocket. It's your cell phone. So why would you do all that stuff when you can go to rockauto.com? And here's the thing about those chain stores and going to your dealership. You're going to spend 30, 50, or even twice as much for the same parts than you would by going to rockauto.com. For example, Honda Odyssey fuel pump, right? You don't know how much that costs. You go to a chain store and you're thinking that's, you know, a few hundred bucks. And yeah, it could be 300 bucks, could be 400 bucks. But you go to rockauto.com. The current price right now for a fuel pump for a Honda Odyssey, $216 at rockauto.com. So why would you go anywhere else? They're a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers like you and I, even though we don't know anything about cars. But (laughs) this is for people like us. So you just know you need a part and you need to get it for the best price possible. So you go to rockauto.com. Go there, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and do us a favor, won't you? Write Locked On in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Welcome back to Locked On White Sox. We are at Bishi Beer here in Logan Square, and you can visit them, of course, 2515 North Milwaukee Avenue. We're here with their... Uh, Brewmaster Andrew Mason, and uh, we're going to get to some of these delicious beers you see here in front of us if you're watching us on YouTube. But uh, we're going to talk about how you uh, landed over here at Bishi and you're doing some great things here. But I, I teased before the break, what's one thing, you know, we, we as beer fans, we sit there and we, we drink and mess behind our favorite beers. At least most of us don't. What's one thing uh, that you would like to relay to the beer consumer that, that they don't know about the process of making their beer that you wish more people understood? Is it stuff like you were saying earlier about cleaning the, the, the tanks and all that stuff, like all the, the hard physical work that goes into it before you make a beer? I don't know. I mean, it's I'm much more concerned about uh, making sure that somebody finds something that they like and they're having the drinking experience that they're looking for more so than does this person deeply appreciate the work that I put into the beer or not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, certainly a lot goes into making a beer, um, but it, it's different for every beer. Um, it, coming up with recipes and coming up with names and, and all that stuff is, uh, I find that fewer people are interested in it than I'm interested in telling them. About it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to run Jay, uh, Westbrook on a couple months ago talking about his process. Do you like know what you're going to be doing before you make a beer or is it like, okay, I'm just going to go in and whatever hits me, hits me and I'm going to try it out. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I have another one. I can just go and um, do you like experiment or do you have like written down? This is the, the ingredients I'm going to use. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, recipe formulation, um, you should know what you're trying, to the point you're trying to get to at the end before you even start. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just like writing a recipe at home. You know, if you set out to make spaghetti and meatballs and you end up with lasagna, you're in the right ballpark, but you obviously took a wrong turn somewhere. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've done this as long as I have, you have a pretty good idea on First of all, technique, second of all, ingredients, and then ratios and how you're going to put everything together. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're making a classic style of a beer, you can look at commercial examples. You can look at uh, other recipes. You can um, uh, it really just depends on what end line you're trying to get to. And if you are, you know, worth your salt, you should have a pretty good idea heading into it on how to get to that spot. 
and I wonder too, like with musicians, like they're making music, and how do they know that they're not making the same music somebody's already made? How do you know that you're making a beer that is maybe unique, or do you even care about that? Yeah, I mean, beer is been around in one form or another as long as civilization has so uh of course what we're gonna what we're drinking here today is not the same as you know the people in the fertile crescent were drinking back then (laughs) but um even still uh you know sometimes you are trying to make a beer that's that's very similar to or as exactly like uh, another beer that you've had Mm -hmm. maybe you got hit with that inspiration of like yeah i was in that spot um, you know, I was at that place. They had this amazing beer, and you're you're setting out to try to recreate that. Um, other times, it's um, you know maybe you had a beer and you're like, oh yeah, I really like that. But here's one piece of that that I thought could be better or executed in a little bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just comes from experience and okay. and figuring out how all the ingredients work together and and how you can push and pull and tug and and get to where you want it to be. So what brought you here to, to Bishi? I know we talked about, you know, coming here and looking for work uh, and then the pandemic happens. But tell us a little bit about this wonderful place. This is my first time here. And uh, tell us how you got here. Uh, well, Bo and Arden are the uh, are the owners, uh, husband and wife team. Bo is the chef here. Uh, they have been open for a couple of years and I live in the, in the neighborhood. And like I said, they were looking for somebody to help them get back up, uh, back up and going um, post pandemic. Um, and they were kind of using this as an opportunity to revamp the, the beer program. Um, and uh, just by a couple uh, chance, you know, conversations with friends, uh, got hooked up with them and helped them do a couple things here. And then the next conversation was, well, do you, you want to stay until you figure out what's next? And um, still haven't figured out what's next, so I'm still here. <laughs> well, I know the etymology behind these names, but these beers that we're about to sample what, what, how did you get these names uh, to, to put them onto these specific beers? Yeah, so beer naming is, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's half the fun, but it, it can be the jumping off point for recipe, or it can just be like, oh, crap, I made this beer, and now I've got to figure out what to name it. <laughs> but this one, I think, was totally uh, came from the group chat uh, of the, you know, the guys that uh, are that we post all the time uh, back and forth to each other. But... Uh, you know, cruising around one day and thinking that I've got these two beers in the tank. I knew I was going to make a Hefeweizen and I knew I was going to make a pale ale and um, didn't really have specific names for them. And then it just kind of, uh, I think Rodan was pitching and somebody (laughs) said something to the effect of like, here comes Hard Carl. And um, (laughs) if you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, James Vegan's writing, in my opinion, is worth the subscription price alone. But uh, he does so much amazing work um behind the scenes in terms of the 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 small stuff that just really gets you like the fact that Eloy likes to watch the mask as many times as he can like I want to be friends with Eloy just so that I can you know burn one and watch the mask with him like um so uh that kind of stuff uh can be yeah that can be inspiration for a beer or can be like oh yeah I've got these two beers and look what this fits together really well so James wrote an article uh probably a number of years ago at this point about um basically Carlos Rodan's and Lucas Giolito's gamer tags and uh Giolito it's pretty well publicized that he really likes to play uh the baseball games and do some visualization stuff and watch himself pitch in the game and uh 
Vegan teased out that his username or his gamer tag was El Jefe Geo. <laughs> and Carlos is, because uh, he's kind of a head case, uh, he's got this nickname of Hard Carl, and he kind of adopted it as his, his gamer tag as well. So uh, it just seemed like it was too perfect to uh, to not name a Hefeweizen an El Jefe Geo if nobody else had done it yet. And uh, to and why not, you know, pick a bulldog name right along with it? Something a little comes at you a little bit harder. Carl Fisk riding by here. There's more cycle. Watch out, watch out for the cornfields. <laughs> Need a little Tim Allen grunt in there. Yeah. So if someone, a Sox fan, wants to come down in the area in Logan Square here at Bishi Beer, uh, how can uh, when when can they come sample these beers? Because these are just recently tapped, right? For the first time, these are these are uh, fresh off uh, off the press or whatever the beer analogy is <laughs> yeah. for that. Fresh out of the serving <laughs> tanks. Um, yeah. Uh, no service on Monday and t- Tuesday. The restaurants close Monday and Tuesday, uh, but Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, 5 p.m. is when uh, dinner service starts, and then uh, brunch just started back on Saturday and Sunday, too. And um, on top of outstanding food, we've got a gorgeous space and great, great yeah. bunch spot. We can attest to that here. It's, it's a great, and uh, and thank you for opening up to us uh, on your on your off night here uh, for the spot. So uh, let's let's get into it, huh? Which one should we start with, Herb? Go ahead. I'll let you choose which beer you want to sample first here. The one with the more head on the right. <laughs> what what mine's on the right. Yeah. If you guys are watching, let's, let's uh, do the, the we'll do the Hef- Hefeweizen first. Makes okay. more sense because it's a little bit more delicate of a beer. Okay. Um, so. Hefeweizen is a German-style wheat beer. Okay. And the two things that you would expect out of pretty much any Hefeweizen are a banana character and a clove character. And those come from... uh, The clove comes from doing a a very specific rest in the mash uh, to free up... um, It's called a ferulic acid rest, and it gives you this clove characteristic during fermentation. And then one of the off... uh, Kind of the the off flavors in in any in any other beer uh from this yeast is a real strong banana character so um i always tell people especially when we're doing tastings there's no wrong answers there's uh there's not really like a wrong way or a right way to drink or enjoy any beer but if you're trying to evaluate a beer there is a specific uh steps that you can go through to 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 kind of professionally evaluate something so the first thing you want to do... Uh, do I have the right one here let's before? See. You, you do, <laughs> Herb, right. switch your beers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first thing that you want to do, and I learned this from some brilliant women that I have worked with and industry mm-hmm. colleagues, uh, some sensory scientists. Uh, the first thing you do is called a drive-by. And uh, you just kind of waft it through past your nose, get, get a first impression of it, and... Um, and then, yeah, look, look, see clarity. Uh, Hefeweizens typically are going to be a little bit hazy. There's usually some yeast in suspension. Um, and then do a little bit of sip, and, and you can kind of move it around your mouth a little bit, see if any, any particular bitterness comes out on different parts of your tongue, um, if there's any, like, flavors that jump out of you, and then go ahead and swallow it. And kind of hold it in your mouth. Delicious. ASMR right there. Delicious, yes. But this is a uh, a German style wheat beer. Made this super traditionally. This is the, um, this is the El Jefe Geo. This, this is the El Jefe Geo. Delicious. Uh, and I 100% taste the banana. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, it, there's, there's no right or wrong answers. And the other really interesting thing to me is that taste is super tied into memory. So sometimes if you have a very distinct memory because of something like 
banana flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you either like or don't like banana flavor. That's gonna that might trigger something in your head, and it might make you think the beer is good or bad because of that. That's everybody brings different things to the table when they're when they're drinking beer. So like I said, there's no right or wrong answers. You must not know our audience. <laughs> <laughs> your palate's amateur herb at best. You you, know, well, you try you try this beer. That's the Twitter audience. Yeah. I think the podcast audience is a much different breed. But yeah, it, it reminds me of the first thing when you th- we think of time and place. Remember the uh, the banana pudding at Stanley's? We would go for Monday Night oh. Football. It was all you oh, can eat. So delicious. With, with banana cream pudding there yeah. at the end of the night. And that's, you wonder how we got a, a morbidly obese. <laughs> it was by drinking, uh, eating, uh, drinking beer and eating uh, all you can eat at buffet watching Monday Night Football, but this is very good. It does remind know. me of banana bread too. But th- this should be, uh, you know, a, a, an effervescent beer, a beer that you have in the summertime, um, a, a thirst quencher. Um, this is, if you're in Germany, this is a beer that you would have at brunch with like a, a vice versed and uh, a little sweet mustard or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, do you guys do growlers here or no? Or is it strictly you come in and just have a, a pint or? We do do growlers, oh, and growlers okay. are half price on Thursday nights. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. Does uh, have you gotten any of these to the, any of the guys on the team yet? Do they? This is kind of a new thing, so maybe we can help spread the word a little bit. But I haven't gotten that far. Okay, but I'm sure these guys would love to know that they have beers named after them, Geo and uh, and Rodan. So we may have to do our part and get the word out here because these are really delicious here. So me, I'm going to finish off uh, El Jefe Geo here, Herb. If you've got any more questions or follow-ups about this no i'm just gonna let you guys drink yeah, it's, it's delicious good. i yeah. don't know like you got to drive so i can drink these both uh, straight to the head yeah. i i don't know if you're like i am a chugger so that's my thing i like to chug beer so i don't know if you're like insulted by me drinking it really fast like i said there's no right or wrong way okay the the thing for me is uh finding the right beer for the right time and the right drinking experience yeah, this is definitely great for a summer night like tonight, and it's been a really hot summer, so beers like this definitely. I don't, I don't think they'll go out of style for quite some time here, I mean, well into October, I think. You know, we had the hottest July on record, I think, in, in, yeah. in, in recent history, so uh, these beers are definitely clutch uh, if you have those. With the name Hefeweizen, you were talking about German, so that's its originality, where it comes from, the, the style of beer? Yeah, Hefe means yeast, and Weizen means uh, wheat. So, All right, let's move on here. Hard Carl. Tell us a little bit about the Hard Carl here. Sure. So this is a an American style pale ale. Excuse me. And uh, made with all uh, three varieties of hops from uh, one of my favorite hop purveyors, Hop Steiner. Um, most of the hops in the United States are grown in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, these three varieties are the same. Uh, they come from the Yakima Valley, uh, but this is brewed with Lotus, and Eureka, and Sultana. And this is one that you might be able to pick uh, flavors and aromas out and um, a little bit differently than the uh, than the Hefeweizen. But Lotus, uh, to me, has a very strong, um, like, orange blossom nectar kind of cr- uh, creamsicle kind of characteristic yeah. to it. Uh, Eureka is kind of a dank and heady uh, hop variety. And then Sultana is a real like pineapple citrus character. So I think they all just play together really well. Uh, but this is also, uh, so American style pale ale, uh, much more much more aggressively bitter. Uh, this is, you know, American pale ale is kind of like IPA light. Uh, not as high, not as high in ABV, not as intensely bitter, but assertively bitter, uh, you know, come at you with some high left-handed heat. Yeah, was, <laughs> as you were discussing it, I was drinking the beer, and you're like, it's it's dank, and then you got the pineapple notes. I was like, hey, both of those. It, like, they came out right then when you were talking. <laughs> like, oh, yes. Yeah. 
I got it. Yeah, you will find us to be very bad beer reviewers, other than we are enjoying them immensely. That's uh, that's our review for the most part right now. <laughs> then it's working, but right? that's why I'm glad you're here to, mm-hmm. to tell us uh, tell us what we're what we're tasting. As here. I made the story, <laughs> I think it was yesterday. We're going to the tapping of uh, Patrick Manley's uh, beer, and I'm not usually a hop guy, but you know, I tried it. I was like, hey man, this works. And seven, eight, nine, ten beers later. We're out the door really drunk. And it was cr- he says they're crushable IPAs. These are not IPAs. These are American-style pale ales. So, yeah, these are race- real well, nice. So generally speaking here, American-style pale ales, what's a good food pairing? Let's say if someone wants to pick up a growler here and That's just nice. take it back to their house for a barbecue you know, for the end of summer here, what's good stuff to go with, uh, with an American pale ale? Pale- pairing is a, a super subjective uh, topic. Um, some people like to have something like this with, like, pizza. Uh, cut through some of that richness of the cheese or, or spicy pepperoni or something like that. Some people like um, more uh, aggressively bitter beers like this with spicy foods because it intensifies the spice. Um, why is I, that? Why, why, yeah, why, is why that? Why does it intensify the spice? Um, I think it's just the way that you uh, perceive bitterness. When you have bitterness and spice together, I think it, it really just ramps it up. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of cheeses that you could have uh, with a beer like this, like a, a sure. blue cheese, something salty uh, would go together. Um, but pairings are another thing where there are certainly tried and true pairings, but it, it's kind of, uh, you know, what, what are you feeling? What, what makes sense to you? What, what kind of uh, eating and drinking experience are you looking for? So from conception to tapping, I don't know. I know they're probably very. How long does this take? Uh, about three weeks. Okay. It, it's not. It's not too long at all. Okay. Uh, the most of the the work is done uh, on the brewer side, mm-hmm. uh, the day of your brew, and that's about six hours. Um, you you mix up malted barley and other specialty grains with hot water. You're basically making sugar water, mm-hmm. separating that from the grain, boiling it, adding the hops. Uh, either for balance or for bitterness or for flavor or for aroma. Um, You cool that down. You uh, add the yeast in the fermentation tank. The yeast does pretty much all the work. It it eats up all the sugars and turns that into alcohol and CO2. Once the yeast has done its job, if it's a beer uh, like Hard Carl, you're going to add a lot more hops in post-fermentation. So you uh, climb up to the top of the tank um, after you've uh, taking all the yeast off the beer, you put a whole bunch more hops in to lock in that uh, th- those aromas, and then uh, you let that mature for a little bit, and then get it cold. And it's it's you could have a beer like this ready in as little as 14 days. Um, rounds out some of the edges if you if you give it like another week. With there's somebody out here listening, you know, older, you know, maybe you like a person you said you were in high school and you maybe wanted to be work at a brew pub. Where does a person learn how to do this that doesn't have a person at home that, you know, your dad was making home brews, so you have the foundation there. How does somebody get into this business? There's kind of two ways into the industry, at least in my experience. One is to spend the money and to go to a school uh, like Siebel. We have one of the oldest and one of the best brewing schools here in Chicago. Okay. Um, They've been around for, I don't even remember how many years now, uh, maybe more than 100. I Somebody will have to fact check me on that. Um, they've been housed at a whole bunch of different places, including the Goose Island Brew Pub for a while, and then they were, they've moved around. But regardless, Siebel is still here. Um, you can go and get a diploma and try to get into the industry that way. Uh, but 
then the challenge is, cool, you've got a diploma, but you have essentially no practical experience. So mm -hmm. the other way that people often get into the industry is to get one of those, you know, entry level positions and just work your butt off. Um, it's a lot different now because there are so many places, there are a lot different and, and varied opportunities. Uh, like I said, when I first started, I was literally commuting three hours a day mm. between Chicago to Flossmoor and then also Chicago all the way up to Libertyville, working two part-time jobs to put one full-time job together because that's, that's just what the opportunities were. Mm -hmm. My buddy Keith, who is one of the senior people at Goose Island now, um, at one point was driving from Chicago all the way down to Champaign because that's <laughs> where the job was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I sound like some old uh, crank now, but, it, you know, it's a lot different now. You can find a job that's a lot closer probably. So what's your favorite part of this whole process? Is it naming it, finding it a creative angle to, to market it? Like obviously you being a White Sox fan, this is a natural fit here. Is it, you know, the, the process and the, the, the artisanal nature of, of the ingredients and all that stuff? Or is it simply just bringing it out to someone and have it, seeing the reaction on someone's face after they, you know, finally sip something that you created? What's your favorite part of, of the brewing process, would you say? I think the most rewarding for me is when you execute something exactly the way that you envisioned it. Um, when you write down a recipe, you did all the steps the right way and it came out exactly what you were hoping for it to be. And that's, uh, that, that still has, that novelty has not worn off. And is there ever any happy mistakes in brewing? Like you put too many hops in or too little hops and it came out like, all right, this wasn't what I was envisioning, but this works. Yeah, that stuff definitely happens. Um, I couldn't give you a specific example, but mm -hmm. uh, like when you work in a production environment, mm -hmm. um, you have you should have very tight standard operating procedures about how you do things, how certain steps are supposed to be executed. But when you're working with a team, sometimes stuff goes wrong. And sometimes those accidents do end up being positive. And mm -hmm. sometimes you have to scramble to figure out, you know, this beer that was supposed to be clear is now brown and tastes totally different. Well, maybe, can we just slap a new name on it or... Uh, do we have to dump this batch? Um, the, the, the good thing is, if you have really tight uh, SOPs, your mistakes can be mitigated. You can't undo anything. Yeah. But as long as you're making a clean beer and it's not infected or there's not something wrong with it, yeah. uh, even if it's not the way that you intended to execute it, it's still going to come out as beer, right? That's one of the unusual, kind of the unusual things about making beer versus making, like, cheese. If you make a bad cheese, that can kill somebody. Yes. The worst beer in the world is not going to hurt anybody. It might taste bad. I don't know about but that. Yeah. Budweiser's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> On the toilets. It's, it's not, yeah, you're, you're not going to die from, uh, from some, you know, human-born pathogen or anything like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're going to take a quick time out here, and uh, we'll wrap things up, preview tomorrow's show. Uh, we're here with Andrew Mason. We're at Bishi Beer on Milwaukee Avenue in Logan Square, sampling a couple really, 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 really great new beers, uh, White Sox-themed beers. The, and we're uh, getting those people out here. Hart Carl's coming out here. Yeah, El, El Jefe Gino. I mean, I mean, we, he and Ashley, Lucas and, and, uh, yeah. and his partner, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they come out for brunch, and then, like, hey, here's your beers. These yeah. beers are meant for you, and they can come yeah. out. You're in a prime spot here, you know. I have no idea Square. what they're drinking. Uh, I mean, you com know, come for the peace, stay for yeah. the beer. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we'll take a quick time out. We'll be right back here on Locked On White Sox. 
And this episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and even your UFC, MMA action. You know what I like to do, Herb, when I talk about Bet Online. Mm. I'm not a huge gambler, but I do get a real kick out of looking at the futures, not only in sports, but also pop culture, entertainment, and politics. Um, you can bet on things like President Joe Biden's approval rating uh, and where that's going to be at. Also, how about this one, Herb? Which is going to be the next world leader to get slapped? That's an actual bet you can place at Bet Online, and if you're wondering, uh, it's Boris Johnson uh, plus 700 right now, uh, as as far as the the, the best odds uh, to get slapped of being a next world leader. Uh, you know, you it's can. It's got to be on t- video, right? That's a good question. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, there could this be a situation where someone you know takes the, their betting opportunity into their old hands, their own hands there, and and you know approaches the world leader with the smoke. I wouldn't recommend doing that. We're not endorsing that. It's not by, great. by any means. By the way, Joe Biden, his odds are at plus one thousand to be slapped in public. Um, I think about that. That's throwing away money. <laughs> exactly. Um, other things you can look at here in politics: Caitlyn Jenner odds to be the next California governor. It's sitting at plus ten thousand right now. So if you want to, it's a good bet. Yeah, exactly. Why not throw a few name bucks recognition? On that. Yeah, I think this uh, whole recall thing is a weird thing, and she could be uh, the next governor of California. You laugh right now, man. Ten thousand. Yeah, that's put yeah. yourself a hundred down on that. Yeah, betonline.ag. You can make it happen for you. Even the Emmys. We talked about Ted Lasso earlier. You can place your bet if you're a really big fan of a particular show and you just want to have a little rooting interest on the Emmys. It's right there for you at Bet Online. So before the next pitch, head to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check in on all the greatest sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, folks. This is your chance to get in the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget, when you go there, our promo code locked on. That's going to get you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we're also brought to you today by our friends at the Wild Alaskan Company. We all know that you should be eating more fish to get our omega-3s and protein, but the seafood counter can be intimidating. Which fish tastes the best? Which type of cut? Can you really be sure about the quality of the fish behind the counter there? Well, Wild Alaskan Company takes care of the guesswork out of your buying out of buying wild-caught seafood. I know, Herb, they sent some stuff to your house, and uh, you're looking forward to trying a lot of that. Uh, you're used to having a lot of choices when it comes to what you eat, but it matters where your food comes from, right? You want to know these things. Get your nutrition from nature. The Wild Alaskan Company sources wild-caught seafood from Alaska and the Pacific North west choose from salmon whitefish or combination and every month there are different specials to explore each shipment contains premium wild caught individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook wild alaskan company seafood is how nature intended intended to be folks always wild never farmed or modified and it contains zero antibiotics you can just adjust pause or cancel your membership at any time and they offer you 100 percent satisfaction guarantee or your money back get your nutrition from nature with the wild alaskan company and right now check this out for our locked on white Sox podcast listeners you can get 15 bucks off of your first box of premium seafood when you go to wildalaskancompany.com slash mlb that's wildalaskan.com wildalaskancompany.com slash mlb for 15 bucks off of your first box 
with wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. All right, wrapping it up here with Andrew Mason of, of Bishi Beer. We just tried the El Jefe Geo and the Hard Carl beers, which you can get here at Bishi Beer on Milwaukee Avenue in Logan Square. Uh, really good stuff here, and I just want to thank you for uh, opening up your uh, your home for the night to us. And uh, this is really special and really cool and unique for our first road broadcast for Locked on White Sox for episode 300. So we're much very appreciative of this, man. <clears throat> Anytime, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow, episode 301. We'll be previewing, uh, breaking down, actually, uh, the, the White Sox and A's. You look at the uh, probables for tonight's game. Old friend alert, another one. They, they tend to come uh, with the A's. The old friend alert, Chris Bassett is on the bump for Oakland, 12-3 and with a 3.06 earned run average. And Reynaldo Lopez for the Sox getting the spot start, 1-0 with a 1-3-5. So it appears they're going to get these guys in the rotation some rest, which ultimately I think is a good thing. Don't put too much emphasis on what's going to happen in these games here. Just know that health is of the utmost uh, importance here. So we'll break that down for you in episode 301. I cannot wait because the White Sox have been playing really poor baseball. And, yeah, it sucks that uh, these games don't necessarily count because we're not battling an opponent because the Cleveland-Detroit thing is happening where they're battling for second place and they're way behind us. But I want our team to be good going into the playoffs, have some confidence going against a good team in Oakland who has a similar record as the White Sox. I think they're both 68 and 50 coming into Monday night's action. So I'm looking forward to this series as a measuring stick to see if the White Sox can bounce back from that disappointing Yankee series. So just looking ahead here with, with Andrew, hopefully the Sox can have a deep postseason run and uh, people will be coming here in droves and you'll be having to think of new different names and ways to market different beer. Maybe a Coach Tony Ale or something like that. You know, <laughs> I think we'll uh, <laughs> steer clear of that one. Ooh. Oh, I see what you did there. I don't have my machine. I'm my, 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 I have yeah. my ghost machine here. I'm just <laughs> reaching for buttons here. <laughs> Maybe a Jake Lamb beer. Yeah. Lamb to slaughter. Yeah, that's if you have anything left in a, in a barrel that you need to get rid of here. <laughs> it won't be here very long. So um, that's all I got uh, tonight, Herb. This is really a tremendous experience, and I can't thank you enough here, Andrew. That was really great. Thank you, Andrew. Anytime. Like I said, I uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show and uh, subjecting the, the whole uh, pod audience to uh, to my yeah. nonsense. Chicagoans, get your asses out here, man. Bishi beer. This is this is good stuff right here. Uh, you know, a, a Sox fan at the helm here uh, making craft beers for you. So that's all I got, Herb. That is Chris Tannehill. At Chris Tannehill is where you follow him. At Ecknerwall23 is where you follow me. Our show is at Locked On Sox. 312-566-8727 is the way you can leave a voice message or LockedOnSox at gmail.com. For Chris, Andrew, and myself, thank you for listening to Locked On Socks.